everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. Man, Blake, feels good to say that. We've been on a bit of a two-week hiatus here, uh, but we are back and ready to roll uh, with you all. I'm here alongside my co-host, Blake Pace. Blake, you and I, we've been a little bit away uh, for a bit, haven't been able mm-hmm. to talk too much. How you doing, man? I'm good, yeah. And like you were saying, it's good to be back doing this. I know our schedules, both of us got a lot going on, man, honestly. And so I'm glad we were able to find some times now and hopefully stick to a little bit um, tighter of a schedule so we can keep putting out stuff because I like doing this show with you. I like covering all, all three major sports. And um, and yeah, so it's definitely good to be back. We got some uh, exciting stuff to talk about today. That's right. And we're going to be going from now on a Tuesday, Thursday schedule as yes. opposed to our normal Wednesday, Friday, uh, just because of the way I'm working, the way Blake's working. It just kind of works out that way where it's a bit easier on us. So sorry if you're so used to that Wednesday, Friday setup yeah. uh, moving forward. We'll have to shift up a day. Uh, but for us, it's Monday, November 11th. Uh, we're recording here at 7.05 Eastern time. Uh, Blake is sitting oh, yeah. at 6.05. We've got Monday Night Football coming on and a little over an hour. Um, we're very interested to see, uh, Blake, a topic I wanted to talk about, but I think we'll save maybe for next episode, is, is that MVP conversation. The yeah. Lamar-Russ debate uh, is really creeping up, but I do think that it this is. game tonight is really important. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see uh, what the Seahawks do right now. They're, they're underdogs by six, which I thought was yeah. a little wide. To be honest, yeah. I mean, the Seahawks have two losses on the year where you, you kind of felt like they could have won those games, but, um, you know, the the 49ers being 8-0, Vegas loves it, so yeah. I guess we'll see well, what happens tonight. Let's let's put it out there, so so predictions that'll probably be wrong by tomorrow morning. <coughs> what, are you, what are you taking in Monday night? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Seahawks, been a close one. Uh, oh, I think it's going to be low scoring. I, I'm going to go with... Oh, really? 18 to 14 Seahawks. Hmm. All righty. So 18 14 Seahawks. I'm going to go with the 49ers. I know we talked about how the Seahawks had a couple games they lost that they should have won. Uh, they also had a bunch of games that, I, you know, they could have definitely lost, but then we're able to pull out some miraculous wins now. I love, love me Russell some, Wilson. I love Russell Wilson. I love me some <laughs> Russell Wilson. He's on a tear. I am actually, I see this kind of opposite. I think the floodgates open a little bit. Um, so I am going to go 49ers winning this one. I'm going to have them covering. Ooh, what's the final score going to be? I'm going to go with a 28 to 20. Just hitting the over of 47 and a half to make me happy, also covering the spread. So 28-20 San Francisco. Dang. That's a There we go. I got I don't know, man. I feel like it's going to be pretty it's close. It's going to be a great game. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm what excited. What a great week of the NFL, too. Sunday night football was good. Uh Packers-Panthers was a great game, dude. I was not expecting it, uh, especially when the snow started falling down. It was just one of those classic, you know, we're getting to that time of the NFL season again. And so that was a really fun game. Uh, You said a lot of upsets, too. Both of our teams took some embarrassing losses. (laughs) Terrible uh, fashion. (laughs) To teams that were a combined 2-14, both the Saints and Colts fell. Um, So definitely an interesting week, but a lot of quality games in there, too. And what a better way to finish it off tonight. Hopefully it was a good one. Yeah, it started off with a good game on Thursday, the Chargers and the Raiders. They kind of got us off on a good foot, and uh, overall, uh, a lot of betters probably pretty unhappy after the results, but we're going to get into one of those teams that's on the rise in a little bit, but first, we're actually going to talk some college football. 
we I feel like we had to talk about this game. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody, you know what game I'm talking about. LSU, Alabama, uh, the Tigers taking down the Tide 46-41 to on Saturday afternoon uh, in what is probably the biggest game of the year, uh, in, in which now puts LSU in the driver's seat, but it also puts Joe Burrow uh, in the driver's seat for the number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So Tua and Joe have kind of been cast as the, the number one and number two quarterbacks mm-hmm. in this draft class. I know, Blake, that you've got somebody else in the mix, but, but let's focus oh, yeah. on these two real quick. Mm-hmm. Who do you think, uh, as far as their traits go and ability to transition to the NFL, stands out to you as the better draft prospect? Yeah, definitely. And both are going to be good, solid quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and not to, to knock on, on I guess, I'm, I'm going to compare both of them in kind of a, a type of quarterback that I just prefer to have in the NFL. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we're watching the league right now where guys like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson are going to finish somewhere in the top four uh, top three of MB- MVP voters. Um, those three have been on an absolute tear, and you know they're both the mobile quarterbacks, not as big. Um, but to me, I still prefer my quarterbacks traditionally large in size. Um, and and when you take a look at Joe Burrow, a guy that's six foot four, two sixteen, great athlete, great frame. Um, he's a guy that I just kind of prefer over to it at this point. And Joe Burrow is one of the fastest rising draft picks. In recent history that I can remember, I don't think anybody was. You, know, you don't think Kyler anything. was the same kind of meteoric oh, rise? Well, Kyler had had a couple. I mean, of course, you know he had to fill in and come off the bench with with Baker. But Joe Burrow was a guy that I don't think was getting much love at all. He had a good season last year, but nothing that was considering first round talent. I think the thing with Kyler is, in comparing both of them, is Kyler was expected to go to baseball. And so his Mm -hmm. rise was more so, okay, I'm going to stick with football. And then all of a sudden, you know, Joe was one of those guys that was a starting quarterback, uh, wasn't going to, you know, go into the pros in another sport um, and really wasn't on a ton of draft boards. You know, you take a look at PFF's, uh, you know, draft board rankings. I don't think he was in their top 12 of quarterbacks uh, preseason, that is. And so now you come to a point where he's just risen all the way to the top. And, you know, I mean, you take a look at what he's done this year, um, just overall on the season. He's completed almost almost 80% of his passes. He's got 3,200 passing yards, 33 touchdowns to four interceptions. Uh, that's unbelievable. He's also put in almost 200 yards on the ground. But then you take a look at what he's done against some of his biggest opponents, too. Um, you know, first off, Alabama, 80% completion percentage. 400 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, You want to go to Texas, who, you know, isn't as good as we thought they were, but when they played in week two, completed 80% of his passes, 471, four touchdowns, and one interception. Take a look at Florida. Almost completed 90% of his passes for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Every game has been great from Joe Burrow, and he's consistently gotten better, but his performances against the top teams in the nation um, just blow me away. And so, to me, Burrow is the guy. Tua, I think, is going to be a solid quarterback. Um, I have a little, and this is interesting. I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you think about this at all. I kind of have a little bit of a lefty bias. 
You know, we've got very few quarterbacks in the league that throw <laughs> left-handed, and I'm not saying that it matters, but it is an adjustment for wide receivers uh, and, you know, sure. running backs out of the backfield to adjust to a complete opposite, you know, 180 on the rotation. Um, Your you front also office think, has to make sure it's investing in a right tackle instead exactly, of a left tackle. Exactly, yeah, yeah. The right tackle becomes more valuable. I, I think two is going to be just fine in the NFL, but uh, to me right now, Joe Burrow has consistently, you know, shown week in and week out that he's got what it takes to be the number one overall pick, and he's going to make a team uh, extremely happy at the top. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the other big things is Joe Burrow's already running an NFL-style offense. He comes out of center uh, a lot. In fact, passing game coordinator Joe Brady, who's in his first season with LSU, modeled his offense off of Sean Payton's in New Orleans, just a you know a couple miles down the state. Uh, and, and that's kind of been the offense he's been running. And, you know, you look at his physical traits. He's, he's extremely accurate, tall build, uh, can move well in the pocket, evade pressure, not in any breakaway speed necessarily, but uh, very good at going through his progressions and not panicking under pressure just kind of all of the traits that you know you talk about your ideal quarterback that's kind of the the prototypical quarterback uh, that's been around in the league for as long as anybody can remember you know obviously Tua brings a different element to the game he's more mobile that breakaway speed uh, can throw a little bit farther downfield but Overall, I really do like Joe Burrow's draft stock. I think that he is definitely the number one guy. You went through his stats right now. He's absolutely exploded. I think that some teams may be weary um, as far as you know. he's only had yeah. one good season. Is this just a blip on the radar? Uh, but if we're looking at the teams at the top, Zach Taylor, this feels like the type of quarterback uh, that would fit into a Sean McVay offense. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb here and say that Zach Taylor would like that same kind of quarterback. Uh, and, and I think that Burrow would be a great fit there for Cincinnati. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and right now, yeah, if you're taking a look, it's going to be Cincinnati. Um, you know, Washington already took their quarterback last year. They announced Dwayne Haskins is going to start the rest of the season. So you think there. Uh, Miami at that point, um, you know, they could end up being in the mix if, if Cincinnati was to, to rally off a couple games and, and all of a sudden Miami's back in that number one uh, situation. But is Cincinnati really going to win two football games this no, year? No, no, they're not. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then you got the Jets and the Giants who already have their quarterback. So really it comes down to Cincinnati at one. Uh, and then the you know the number two quarterback will end up in Miami a couple picks later or or right next to it and so I completely agree Joe Burrow would be a fit for any offense to me uh, in this league and and God there's going to be a lot of teams looking to get him I mean and you talk about kind of how he the jump that he made from last year to this year I mean he only completed 57.8 percent of his passes last year uh, and he's jumped that mm-hmm. all the way up to 78.9 he already has 300 yards more. Uh, in four fewer games this year average yards per attempt is up just about or over three yards um, touchdowns he's already doubled and um, yeah a quarterback <laughs> a rating of 202.5 so I love me some Joe Burrow two is a guy that look I personally he's my quarterback three I know I wanted to throw in some love there because heading into the season my number one quarterback was Justin Herbert uh, out of Oregon I thought he would have been uh, up around there as the number one pick in last year's draft, um, you know, depending on, uh, I guess, Kyler's rise. And if he decided to, to leave, he had decided to stay back for a senior year, and it's actually really helped his draft stock. But he's another guy, six foot six, two thirty seven, huge frame. And this year, like I said, him coming back into Oregon and staying that extra year has really helped out. He's upped his completion percentage by uh, almost 10 total percentage points from 59 to 69%. Uh, he's got a touchdown interception ratio of 24 to 2. Um, he's been great. So to me, 
you know, and I'm not trying to knock on Tua because I'm, and we're talking about Tua because obviously this game this past weekend with LSU, but uh, those three quarterbacks to me don't fall outside of the top seven. I think you're going to get some trades up there for some teams that are going to want to try and grab them. But to me mm-hmm. right now, it would, I entering the season, it went, you know, Herbert and then Tua for me. But now with the rise of Burrow, uh, my one through three has got to be Burrow, Herbert and Tua. And, and what a fun quarterback class that this is, this is going to be. It's got a lot of talent and there's some sleepy guys under underneath those top three too. Some, some interesting names as well. You've got, uh, you know, Jordan, Jordan Love out of Utah State. Uh, who are some other guys that are in there? I know I'm forgetting another name. Uh, Jacob Eason uh, out of Washington. So it's going to be a fun quarterback class. I'm interested to see if we can uh, get to the total amount of quarterbacks taken in the first round, kind of like we did uh, two years ago with that that draft class. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. Let me ask yeah. you, do you think that the ankle injury that Tua suffered hmm. uh, with the surgery is a liability at all? Do you consider him uh, to be an injury liability? Um, I wouldn't say so. Now, of course, he's not as big as the other two that I just mentioned. He's what? He's around 218. So I guess he's around Six the one. same weight yeah. as, as Joe Burrow. But um, look, Tua, I wouldn't put too much onto it. You know, he didn't look his A game back there against LSU. You know, that'd be tough coming off an injury, not being 100% and facing your toughest opponent of the year. I think that goes to show just a, you know, a tall task it was. But Tua still looked really good out there. You know, he didn't um, you know, look as great as, as Burrow did, but um, I, I wouldn't be too worried about Tua's injury, uh, you know, concerns as we translate to the pro career. Um, but certainly if he wants to keep up his style of play, moving around outside the pocket and things like that, he, he is going to have to take, you know, attention to, to keeping himself upright, um, as we've seen with, you know, a number of quarterbacks coming to the league and, you know, end up having their career shortened because of injuries or, you know, injuries lingering and, and causing, you know, him to miss games season after season. Um, so I, I don't think it's that big of a deal right now, but it's definitely something to monitor if, if it does, you know, continue to, to tighten up or if he continues to have ankle problems through the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think one last thing on, on Tua before we move on. The read that I've gotten uh, just from surveying uh, draft boards and things like that is that Tua gets locked on to one receiver uh, more often uh, than you might like out of a number mm-hmm. one pick uh, and will tend to throw yeah. it into double his or triple coverage. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, his interception numbers are good. You know, only two his freshman year in eight games. Last year, 15, he had six interceptions. Uh, and so far in eight games this year, he has three. So only 11 to his career uh, with 460 attempts. That's a fantastic percentage. But you could argue that Tua also has has the deepest wide receiving core in the entire college that. football landscape. And they've definitely <laughs> yeah. bailed him out on multiple occasions. So uh, that is another thing where, you know, he is considered an accurate quarterback, but when yeah. you get into the problems of if, if your pockets collapsing, which he also has one of the best offensive lines in college football. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, his, if he gets put onto the dolphins, his pocket is going to be <laughs> collapsing left and right. Uh, and that is definitely cause for worry. Uh, yeah. if you are an NFL franchise. You you hit the you hit the uh, nail right on the what you what is it what's the saying nail on the, the head nail, yep. nail on the head yeah <laughs> Jesus uh, that was that was rough but yeah I mean take a look you know if you're going from Alabama to to Miami where in Alabama your first three receivers are Jerry Judy Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith um, the first two who will at least be top first round picks Smith might be a little bit later on um, if he chooses to leave 
those three guys, um, all three, you know, I might take over a number one wide receiver of Devontae Parker heading into to the year if you're Miami. <laughs> and also Miami who traded away hey, their Preston franchise. Williams, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and Miami who <laughs> traded away their starting running back, their starting left tackle. Um, there so are other starting no, wide receiver one and exactly, Kenny Stills. Exactly. It's not going to be an easy situation. That's going to be a tough transition, but... Um, you know, look, uh, Miami is is surely building something uh, in there. Brian Flores seems to be we the guy. So. Um, yeah, we hope so. And so, if that <laughs> is the situation for Tua, I mean, you think about other situations that could be choosing to move on from their quarterbacks. We got to look at Tampa. That those are great wide receivers to have there, along with Bruce Arians. Uh, if he was to go to Tennessee with the Titans, you know, uh, AJ Brown, Corey Davis, Derrick Henry, good skill players, um, kind of guys that are continuously getting better. Uh, year in and year out, and then um, you know, say, say he goes number one still to Cincinnati. You know, those are those are good skill players there too. With you know, hopefully a healthy AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross when he gets back, and then also Joe Mixon uh, behind him. So, um, you know, Miami might be you know where everyone's pinning him to right now, but you know, those other two would be a lot better situations to certainly walk into than as opposed to uh, no offensive linemen. Mark Walton is your running back, and Devontae Parker is your wide receiver one. To be honest, I feel like the game that we just saw between LSU and Alabama essentially decided, uh, with an asterisk, who the number one pick was going to be. Whoever outdueled the other, I felt like that was going to just be such a boost of their overall national stock uh, in, in draft stock as well, where you could argue that whoever won that game would be the number one pick in this year's draft. Now, that being said, the asterisk is... They could face each other again. Very, we oh, yeah. very, may very well see both LSU and Alabama in the college football playoff. They're not going to be able to I face each so. other in the SEC title game, given they're in the same uh, side of the conference. But right. we definitely could see them both in the college football playoff, uh, which could be huge. And in determining, you know, if, if Tua were to have a big, you know, second half of the season, go into that game and outduel Burrow there, then maybe we start seeing some people go flip and go back over to Tua. But I think as far as the way things stand right now, it definitely just screams Burrow to me. Yeah, definitely. He seems to be on the front runner now. And, and I, I trust me, I, I would love to see another uh, matchup, Alabama-LSU. That was a great game on Saturday. Yeah, me too. I, I couldn't me too. get my eyes off the TV. No, I thought that the... Uh, um, Penn State, uh, Minnesota. Who they play? Minnesota game. That was a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I was after that game ended and LSU Alabama started. I said this game is going to be really tough to beat because right. that that <laughs> that Minnesota team, man, they're undefeated now. Watch out. I, I mean, they're, they're not going to make the college football playoff, but I, I think they're going to be a New Year's Six team, and yeah. we could see them in a in a really big bowl game. So I'm excited. Pretty that cool. offense is ridiculous. Oh, definitely. All right. That'll do it uh, for our college football college segment football. here. We're just going to go ahead. Yeah, we don't do enough college that. football. I, I like that. We'll, we'll do a little bit more as we get into the second half of the season. Some more conference play should be a lot of fun. Plus, we have college basketball starting. I'm sure that'll oh, be something yeah. that we're going to have to dive into as well. It's a great time to be a sports fan, man. Definitely. Just no baseball. That's the only thing. I'm already missing it. Well, I'm excited I'm still, for this offseason. We also, by the way, just, just real quick, we haven't had an episode since the Nats won the World Series. Oh, wait, Which really? is probably a good thing. Um, because Yeah, we did a Game 7 preview, and we haven't we haven't uh... actually talked since. I lost my voice for four days after the World Series Wait, Game legit? 7. I was <laughs> legit. I couldn't have recorded a show even if we could. Uh, I w- had the scratchiest crap. voice. It was so bad. But I 
I was at Nationals Park for Game 7, went crazy, paraded the streets. I bought a, a Washington Post street edition that said champs yeah. in big letters, and I just held that above my head for a solid three hours just in the streets. <laughs> people coming up and taking random selfies with me, like screaming. Uh, some people were posting pictures of me on Twitter. I saw it all over. It was kind of funny. Uh, mm. So I, I I had so much fun. It was crazy to see D.C., rally around like that. I mean, I you know, obviously the Caps won the Stanley Cup back in 2018 and then the Mystics won the WNBA title earlier this year, but this just felt a little bit different to me. You know, I think that a title in the NBA, MLB or NFL just kind of means a little bit more. Like I think that DC is a decent hockey town and they really rallied, rallied around the Caps, so, you know, props mm-hmm. to them. I mean, I I was, you know, I was rooting for the team, but having not watched the team for you know, most of my life, you know, I was just more happy for DC than I was like pumped at the Caps won, you know? Right. But this, this was the first time that, you know, I really was able to dive in. The Saints won the Super Bowl in 2009, but I was only 12 at that point. It wasn't yeah, necessarily grasping how crazy that was. This, this was just surreal, man. It, it yeah. winning a, a title like that. Oh my God. That's can't even cool. describe it. That's pretty cool. I'm happy for All it. Right. I just had to, I had to put that out there. Uh, yeah, it was I'm, a lot of fun. I'm, yeah, I'm glad we did. Um, now that's going back to back, so yeah, we'll be ready. There you go. Oh <laughs> All right. So we want to talk, uh, about a particular player and then we'll kind of jump onto his team here. I want to look at the defensive player of the year rankings right now, which obviously there is no rankings, but the players who might be in the mix. And I think honestly, Blake, the player who stands out to me as the clear cut favorite right now has to be Minka Fitzpatrick, who was acquired by the Steelers earlier this year in what at first seemed like a panic move. Uh, at that point, they traded a first round pick and fell out to a one and four start. It seemed like it was a, a wash of a season and they wouldn't even get a top draft pick for it. But the Steelers are, are on a roll right now, and as of thing as the way things stand right now, the Steelers hold the number six spot in the AFC, that second wild card spot at five and four on the year after beating the Rams, who are also five and four, uh, seventeen to twelve. Mason Rudolph did just enough, two hundred and forty-two yards and a touchdown. Uh, the receiving game, James Washington had a big day. Deontay Johnson did pretty well, but. Really, the story was the defense and how well this defense has played all year. And Minka Fitzpatrick has been the guy in that conversation right now. In seven games played just with Pittsburgh, he had two uh, to start the year with Miami. Seven games with Pittsburgh, five interceptions, including one pick six. He's had eight passes defended, forced a fumble, recovered a fumble, and returned it for a touchdown. Plus, does have a QB hit with 34 combined tackles. I mean, just patting the stats up and down. He also had a forced fumble uh, and a fumble recovery with Miami. So on the season, his numbers put him up there uh, with some of the best players in the league right now. He's the only player in the NFL with five interceptions and uh, at least a force one forced fumble. Uh, so, Blake, do you think that Micah Fitzpatrick is the number one player right now for Defensive Player of the Year? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Okay. Uh, so I just pulled this up. Where would you say in as of uh, and see it, it doesn't take into account this week. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, this is something we would have to visit later on. But as of last Thursday, where would you say that Minka ranked in terms of uh, favorites for Defensive Player of the Year? Ooh, um, I mean, I would say that he was probably a fringe guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe I'd say top five. At that point, he's not I, I think in that the, he's he's not in the top twenty six. 
In terms of what? Odds? In terms of odds to win Defensive Player of the Year. Jeez. Where is he now? Oh, I want to see where he is now. Well, the problem is is I think it's not going to update until <laughs> after this week. Look, well, I, I, it's so all about I'm, narrative. I mean, I'm that's gonna, that's yeah. a big part of it. Well, yeah, it's definitely about narrative. And for the Steelers, if, if, they can, if this defense can carry their god- awful offense like watching that game was so painful because the Rams and the Steelers defenses were doing as much as they could to help out their offense but I mean god watching Mason Rudolph and Jared Goff throw the ball uh for 60 minutes I did not want to watch and oh great we get to watch Goff and Mitchell Trubisky on Sunday night football this week so that's oh yes can't Can't, wait can't wait to watch that look um to to me you know Minka is is a very good player he's a very young good player he's kind of giving the Steelers that whole you know, everyone wants to compare, you know, your new guy. And so they're all like, oh, you know, this could be our next Troy Polamalu, which, of course, one of the greatest safeties of all time. Um, to me, Minka, some of his touchdowns are a little lucky, I will say. Uh, he kind of just happened to be in the right place at the right time with that golf quote-unquote fumble that he returned for a touchdown. Um, well, or, okay, fumble recoveries are a crapshoot. But he has forced right. two fumbles this year, which yeah. still is very mm-hmm. good. Yeah, definitely. And Mika's been great, and he's carried that defense, and the defense is carrying the Steelers. And, and if the Steelers can make a run and try and get one of these final postseason spots, then I think that says a lot, too. Um, there, there are a number of guys right now. To me, it's too crowded of a backfield to say he's the number one guy. Um, I, I don't think there really should be a number one guy. As of last Thursday, the favorites uh, was a Shaquille tie between— uh, was Actually, it was a tie between Stefan Gilmore and Joey Bosa. Um, hmm. and, then, and then right behind them, Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett— we actually don't get to Shaquille Barrett until, like, number 10 or 11. He's behind a Jeez. good number of guys. So, I, I don't know. Defensive Player of the Year, I feel like, is one of those awards that we have to wait till like, week 14 and then take a look at their total stat lines. Minka is certainly on the rise, given his play for the Steelers and how that defense has been turning it into wins, and he's kind of been the big name ahead of it. I will be interested to see, and we'll have to discuss this, and we can either bring it up on Thursday or just text each other or tweet about it, but I, I will be very interested to see uh, how far he jumps up after this week in, in terms of the odds. I would assume he would have to at least at least crack the top eight. He's got to. I mean, right? I, I'm seeing lots of stories about it, too. That's part of why I wanted to talk about it. I think yeah. it's become, it's become a, a talking point. Um, just because, I mean, if we're being honest, you know, it's, it's narrative and it's interceptions and sacks. Those are the two big stats for defensive player of the year. If you lead mm-hmm. the league in sacks or interceptions, you're guaranteed to finish top four, you know, <laughs> in, in defensive player of the year rankings. I mean, that's just kind of how it's always been. Uh, I do find it interesting though. Only four players right now have been, have at least four interceptions on the season. Two of them were traded this year in Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, and Marcus Peters. Or two of the four, so very interesting uh, that such high, you know, caliber players on the defensive side were traded when we really haven't seen. We didn't see any big trades on the offensive side. I mean, I think you could argue that Kenyon Drake is the biggest and most impactful offensive player uh, acquired in a trade this year. Unless I'm forgetting somebody glaring. Yeah, I'm trying um, to. Well, I mean, if you take into account the off season, then then you've got. Odell oh well, no, no, no. I'm just saying yeah. mid season trades. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. OBJ would be the the number right. one there, um, but as far as midseason trades go, a lot of people called it a quiet uh, trade deadline. And sure, the day of really wasn't mm-hmm. all that impactful. But I think that in the weeks leading up to it, we had a lot of defensive players uh, change hands in in ways that have clearly been making big impacts. So uh, that yeah. Ravens secondary man, now that is fully healthy and got Marcus yeah. Peters, I mean, 
Ooh, it's scary. I know that the numbers aren't great, but you know, right. uh, Jimmy Nelson or not Jimmy Nelson, Jimmy Nelson. No, I don't remember his name. Um, uh, Jimmy the Smith. opposing Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Oh, he, wait. he was hurt. Yeah. Are you talking about Ravens yeah. defensive back? Yeah. I was talking okay. about Ravens real gotcha. quick. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, they've, they've, they've battled some health problems uh, throughout the year and uh, had some depth issues. But now that they've added Peters and are fully healthy, uh, I think that they're in the second half going to be one of the more fearsome secondaries in the entire NFL. I know that's not exactly a, a, a mainstream take, um, but I do think that seeing the job that they've done so far altogether, I think that they can really be elite. I mean, obviously, they only played the Bengals, but you right. know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. They just came off the bye, so. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so expanding, though, this, this Steelers defense has propelled it into a playoff spot right now, um, but it's extremely crowded in, in the AFC, especially for these two wildcard spots. In fact, I mean, I don't know if we can lock them in right now necessarily just because they're not necessarily super far away from every, from the rest of the pack as far as statistically, but the Patriots and the Ravens just feel like the top two seeds in the AFC, and I don't think that the Texans are going to crack it. I mean, maybe they're they're at six and three right now. The Ravens at seven and two, and the Patriots eight and one. So they're only technically a loss behind. And maybe the Ravens lose another game or two, and, and the Texans can leapfrog them for it. But right. I, I feel like we can pretty confidently say that the Patriots and the Ravens are going to be the top two teams uh, in the AFC. But that leaves the rest of the playoff picture completely muddled. We have right now in the three, the Texans, the four are, are the Chiefs at six and four on the season. The Bills, who are reeling right now. Uh, six and three uh, in the five spot. Then at five and four, you have three teams tied: the Steelers, the Raiders, and the Colts. You just had the Titans uh, with Ryan Tannehill, who look rejuvenated. The Jaguars and the Chargers are four and five and four and six, respectively. That's eleven teams right now that you feel like are pretty confidently in the mix. I mean, maybe you say the Broncos and the and the Browns at three and six if they really go on a, t- a tear for the rest of the year, sure. Yeah. But I, I think that we can confidently say eleven teams uh, are firmly in the mix for a playoff spot right now. Blake, right now as things stand, we have the Texans, AFC South champs. We have the Bills and the Steelers uh, in the two wild card spots right now. Of those three teams. Do you th- consider any of them to be locks? Uh, sorry, of what three teams? I, I Texans, Bills, and Steelers. I think the Chiefs, who are at the four seed and in the AFC West uh, title right now, I do think that they're the best team in that division, so I'm not going to say that maybe that division's up for grabs, but I'd uh-huh. say that the AFC South and the rest of the wildcard spots certainly look the part. Yeah, I mean, I would consider at this point, uh, and as much as I love to hate on them, I'm, I'm going to consider the Texans to be a lock to get into the postseason. Um, at okay. the very least, I think they, I think that we get um, them as either a wild card or they're certainly in the position to lock up that division. Um, mm-hmm. To the Bills and the Steelers, no, I'm not going to call them locks. Both, both kind of remind me a little bit of the same. They've got great, great defenses. Um, that are a little susceptible to the run, not not terrible. The Bills are a little more so than the Steelers, but they've got you know a lack of skill players uh, and quarterbacks that aren't playing up to the level that they should be. Now Mason Rudolph, you know, unreal expectations for him to come in and be the starter in place of Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and so for Josh Allen, I'm a little more upset with what we've seen out of him this year. Um, his he's got the arm strength to throw the deep ball, but he doesn't have the accuracy there to to match it, and so. We've seen, you know, kind of a down year for from him, and certainly we thought, you know, maybe take another bump up that second year. Um, the Steelers, to me, are, are just too inept on offense to really get it done and to push the envelope 
Um, and and certainly when you take a look at some of the teams behind them, I, I love what we're getting out of Oakland's offense right now. I, I love, love, love what we're seeing from Oakland. Um, look, when when the Colts three weeks from now, and I'm I'm down on my Colts. I've been kind of down on them the you know the last few weeks. When when they have Jacoby Brissett, T. Y. Hilton, and Devin Funchess instead of you know uh, Zach Pascal, Chester Rogers, and Brian Hoyer, they're a much better offense. And so. Um, I, I would love to say that the Steelers can just ride this defense into the playoffs, but I think it comes to a point where this day and age in the NFL, you need a good offense to win games. And uh, I just don't think they could string something together, uh, you know, to keep pace with the, the mix of the Raiders and the Colts. Yeah, I also think it comes down to strength of schedule. And looking, I feel like the Steelers, to me, are, are the biggest lock of that group. I mean, really? The Texans face a tough division, mm-hmm. and I don't think that they're necessarily a lock to win that division. And if they, you know, the Colts steal one in their second game, um, if the Titans, you know, play them well, the, the Jaguars could. I mean, that's that's a lot of talent there uh, where I'm questioning whether or not the, the, the Texans can emerge out of that. I don't necessarily think they're a lock, but I do think that the Steelers, where they are right now, mm-hmm. Just looking at who they have between now and Christmas, the Browns, the Bengals, the Browns, the Cardinals, the Bills, and the Jets, and then they close out the season against the Ravens. So but between now and the Ravens, they face, what, one playoff team in the Bills. Everybody else under 500 right now mm-hmm. uh, with, with Cincinnati being a bona fide win, New York being a bona fide win, they should probably beat the Cardinals, and I'd like to think that they could sweep the Browns this year. I mean, yeah. it, I don't. I think maybe they lose one game the rest of the year. Now, we've obviously could say like you know the, the Colts should not have lost to the uh, Dolphins, and the, the Saints should not have lost to the Falcons. Those things happen, and, and maybe you know they pick up one more loss the rest of the year. But even if they were to go uh, to get two more losses the rest of the season, that's still a ten and six team. I think they're uh, ten and six definitely gets you into the playoffs uh, in this this mediocre. I don't want to say mediocre AFC muddled. I guess is the better word for it, where just everyone's kind of beating up on each other, so that right. the win totals aren't as high. Um, so I think that ten and six will get you into the playoffs this year. Oh yeah. Uh, obviously, they're not going to be winning the division, um, but at the same time, I think that the way that the Steelers' defense is playing right now, you know, barring any injuries. They look like a, a top five unit or so uh, in the in the playoffs. So I don't know, man. I, I feel good yeah. about the Steelers of all those teams right now. You know, the Bills they have an easy schedule, but like you said, that offense just really hasn't shown up in ways that uh, I think you know prove they can be resilient. You know, a, a team with a, without a good offense like they are, you know, just screams to me trap games. You know, they that they won't put up the point totals to blow out bad teams mm-hmm. uh, and, and can have games where maybe teams who realistically aren't at the same caliber as them could still remain in games just because Josh Allen and that offense can't get it done. Right. Well, that, that Steelers-Bills matchup that you mentioned they've got Huge. What, closer toward week 15 or 16, like that's massive, uh, especially yeah. with the way these guys are going. And the Bills still have a favorable schedule. I know, you know, they lost to the Browns and, and – um, that certainly was a, a, a bad loss to take there to a, a definitely a winnable game. Um, so they've got a favorable schedule. Steelers definitely do too. Uh, the one other team and look, 
I, I've loved to hate on him this year too. It's it's been kind of funny to watch too. Um, the Browns' first half uh, strength of schedule was was miserable, and it gets a little bit lighter uh, through on out for the Browns. And so I don't know if we're going to say I, I don't I don't know if a sweep um, could be on the mind for the Steelers. I, I would hope to split, but they're another team that I feel like could. I mean, the, the Browns could single handedly just you know kind of ruin the Steelers' playoff hopes if they decide 100%. to start picking things up, and if they could take one or two of those. Uh, this that could derail uh, the Steelers' season. It's funny that their four of their final seven games are against two different teams in the Bengals yeah, and the Steelers. Right? <laughs> um, you know, my my thing is, I think Mike Tomlin can outcoach Freddie Kitchens. I'm all out oh, on yeah. Freddie Kitchens, by Me the way. Too. I, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. there have been extensive breakdowns as to how he's a terrible coach. I mean, he even said the other day that he doesn't <laughs> yeah. listen to stats. Yeah, he doesn't pay attention um, to stats. Which. Oh man, you know you can't <laughs> so say bad. that in 2019. I'm no, sorry. You you just, even if you believe it, like the, the, in baseball, there's a, a way to dress it up where you say like, "Oh well, I, we we listen to scouting here. Scouting is our predominant, uh, you know, department in terms of information for player development and things like that." You know, to say that like we look at player traits, it's not even what he said. He didn't try to dress it up at all. Just said, "I don't pay attention to stats." Ugh, that I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm a stat geek. When it comes to sports, and that's kind of been how I approach watching it. But at the same time, with all of the analytics available to you, you don't have to pay attention to stats. But somebody on yeah. your <laughs> team has got to be telling you some things. Uh, and there are some glaring issues with that Browns offense. So, um, But that's that's my two cents uh, on Freddie Kitchens. Anything yeah, left uh, for you, Blake, uh, on the AFC playoff picture? Yeah, man. Um, I, I guess the only last thing I would say is the the Titans got something going right now, man. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill's look pretty nice. He's slowly just been getting better. You can tell that you know now that he's getting more reps with the ones. He's feeling more comfortable with the wideouts. And and for Tennessee fans, man, you just got to be so happy to finally have a quarterback who is willing to throw the ball down the field. Marcus Mariota was one of the most timid quarterbacks we've seen in the last few years especially in a league that's transitioning to downfield passing schemes and really pushing the envelope Marcus Mariota has been the anti that so to have Ryan Tannehill down there it's opening up way more for guys like AJ Brown and Corey Davis and and now at five and five you know it was a lucky win against the Chiefs and, and their schedule is tough I mean I know you know we're looking forward to almost in you know a little over a month getting to see them uh take on the saints when, when you guys come visit, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll be there. The, yeah. They got a tough schedule and I'm, but the, they've, they've strung together some nice wins. I love their defense. Uh, I like Mike Vrabel, honestly. And, and now that they've got a quarterback that likes to push the envelope, it seems things are, uh, on the come up. It's, it's a tough AFC South. You also mentioned you're getting Nick Foles back with the Jags. I still think at the end of the day, we get two teams from that division in the playoffs, which then comes down to whether the bills or the Steelers can pull things out. I don't know, man. We we it's haven't talked about the Ra- the Raiders, but yeah, they're dude. they're in the mix of things too. I think we could be getting two AFC West teams. They're, yeah, uh, well, the, the Raiders are a half seed out of the division right now. Yeah, that point differential is a little bit concerning. Uh, mm-hmm. They're, they're going to have to kind of go on a bit of a run here, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we'll I see. Like it. I thought I'm going to. Oh no, it's not the Titans game. I thought I was about to say. I think I'm about to go to two Titans games the rest of the year, but I'm <laughs> so I'm going I'm going to the Redskins game in two weeks, but it's not the Titans, it's the Jets. All right, oh, this is going to be a terrible game. <laughs> My Wait, girlfriend's that, that dad is, uh, bought us tickets. When that is game's it? this weekend, yeah. Is it this weekend? Yeah. Oh, crap. 
Guess I'm going on Sunday. <laughs> Enjoy. Well, uh, yes, yes. I'll, I'll have uh, a few beverages to help Good. me get through that because it's also going to be freezing. Oh yeah. Um, the tailgate, the whole nine yards. I mean, I I root for the Redskins. They're obviously not my team, but <laughs> I mean, at this point, you want them to lose every game, right? Like this is huge Definitely. for draft stock. Uh, Chase Young, Chase Young, uh, to Washington, baby. baby. That's what we yeah. need. <laughs> Definitely. All right, all right. So. That'll be a wrap on football. Last thing we want to talk about here is going to be some NBA stuff, which oh, yeah. uh, we haven't been able to really dive into since the season started. It's been now the two weeks since we did our three weeks now since we did our NBA previews, and we haven't really been able to dive into it all. Uh, and Blake, this isn't one of our topics, but real quick, do you see the Dion Waiters thing with the Bro, gummy? Who do you think the gave panic him the gummy? Attack? <sighs> I don't know. That's question. My guess is Kelly Olynyk. He just looks like a drug dealer if he wasn't an NBA (laughs) player. But that's the thing. If it's a gummy, doesn't it have to have been legal? And they had just played a game in Denver. So I feel like Mm. it had to have been in Denver? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, they definitely picked up that shit there. They got it from a dispensary. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think think it just means that Dion Waiters is a softie. Can't handle his gummies. I had a brownie (laughs) over the weekend. I was good. I will say, though, I mean, like, those things, they do hit you differently. Like, you can never really tell how bad it's going to get you. So I guess Dion was maybe comfortable with the one he had in the past, and then just this one really hit him. You know what he definitely did? He did the common uh, edible thing. He took one, waited 20 minutes. He was like, man, this shit isn't hitting. He took, like, three more, (laughs) and all of a sudden was just cooked. So, so that's definitely what happened to Dion. But man, I was I was embarrassed to hear that. Uh, that's a that's a pretty lame way to get a ten game suspension. Is oh yeah, attack. what what is up with a ten game suspension? You know you know the rules with 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 marijuana stuff in in the NBA is the first time you get caught, it's yeah. kept quiet, no fine, just a warning. Second time you get caught, it's a fine, no suspension. Well, and uh, it's kept quiet. Third time you get caught, and this is testing positive, by the way, you get a five-game suspension, and obviously that has to become public. So you have to get caught three times, and that's NBA protocol. The Heat are the ones who fired Dion Waiters. I think think that's messed up. I mean, why? Shouldn't you be trying to be like, help the guy? They had to land a plane, bro. They had to stop that shit (laughs) mid-flight to make sure he was okay. That, That shit isn't free. Uh, yeah, but yeah. at the same time, like, it's like a health thing, right? Like, I shouldn't guess. you be more concerned? Like, are you okay? Like, can we do anything to help? I don't no, know. Sh- I think it should be, <laughs> you should stop being such a softie and not to take your edibles. <laughs> I mean, I can't disagree with you on that, <laughs> on that particular point. I do think it's bad for him, for the Heat, though. Yeah. It, it, you know, uh, to, they've had their problems with Dion Waiters, and he, oh, you know, yeah. publicly complained that he isn't playing enough. Uh, and he had a, uh, a, a something in his contract that said, you know, what's what's the word? The, uh, incentive okay. in his contract for, for games played. But in this 10-game suspension means he won't be making that incentive. Uh, uh, so I, I think it's that. a little shady. I think it's a little shady. That's yeah, all. Yeah, that is. It's definitely a little. I didn't know that part. That's definitely shady. But, you know, that's that's for the Heat to deal with. We're, we're going to look on the brighter side of things uh, in the NBA. Two teams that have been surprising. One in the East, one in the West. Blake, who has been the bigger surprise to you? The Raptors, who are, I believe, playing tonight. Um, Clippers. So we won't be able to. Yeah. yeah. So we won't be able to talk about tonight's games. Um, but where things stand right now, 
They are the number two seed in the Eastern Conference at 7-2 and two on the season, just a half game behind the Celtics. Are they the bigger surprise uh, where they are, given, you know, we, we both expected them to be playoff teams, but maybe not necessarily at the top of the East. Mm-hmm. Do you think I they're think- the bigger surprise or the Phoenix Suns, who right now are at 6-3, and three, which has them tied for the three seed, although they are tied uh, with one, two, three, four other teams uh, for that spot, so they could lose one game and be all the way down at seventh. Right. Um, the Phoenix Suns, who neither of us expected them to be in the playoff mix at all, they've gotten uh, off to a hot start with DeAndre Ayton suspended. He's only played one game this year. Blake, who's been the bigger surprise to you? Yeah, I mean, this one was easy for me because I had the Raptors as my three seed heading into the into the season. Yep. Um, so to me, the bigger surprise, I mean, come on, it's the Phoenix Suns. You know, we expected, you know, I expected them at least to be one of the worst teams in the league. And what I think it goes to show is what the right coach at the right time can do for you. And what a what a story for Monty Williams. I mean, if look, if he can at least carry this team and somehow, you know, you know, for both of us somehow replace Dallas as the eight seed, got to give him coach of the year stuff. I mean, man, his, you know, through, oh, for the, sure. through the through the loss of his his wife through the work he's done to get back into NBA circles, the opportunity with the Suns, who have been consistently, along with the likes of the Knicks and the Cavs without LeBron, one of the most embarrassing franchises uh, in this past decade. Uh, If he can lead this team to a winning season, because that's what it would take to get in the Western Conference playoffs and and, and at least secure a seed, I mean, what a great story. It's just one of those feel-good things to see a guy who has really just taken, you know, a shitty situation and slowly build himself up and you hear him talk about all of his his faith and his passion uh, and, and he's put that out into the into the suns and and look i i don't know if we're supposed to expect it to last you know personally out of just you know my trust levels i i wouldn't expect it to um but they're doing it on both ends of the floor. Offensive rating is fourth in the league. The defensive rating, which is way more important to me than than the offense, we know they have great offensive players, but their defensive rating is ninth in the NFL or in the NFL in the NBA right now. They're playing at a high pace, uh, seventh seventh best pace in the league, um, and and man, you know. What a turnaround! Uh, what a, what a strong start! It's very exciting to see and, and to imagine that they're still missing the number one overall pick from from uh, two seasons or two drafts ago. Um, really, really impressive. You know the duo of Ricky Rubio next to Devin Booker. The big problem with the Suns over the last few years is they didn't have that guard really next to Devin Booker after they traded away just about all the guards that they had. Uh, Ricky Rubio has been solid. points per game to go along with 8.6 assists and nearly 7 rebounds. Devin Booker carrying the load on offense with 25.8 points per game. Uh, You take a look at a guy like Aaron Baines, who's Aaron Baines, man, who's averaging averaging 16 points a game. He Uh, was a salary cap dump by the Celtics. I know, man, and now he's starting for the Suns. Uh, That's unbelievable. Um, to me, they're the bigger surprise, and just I, you know, we expected the Raptors to both be playoff teams. Neither of us had the Suns in the playoff picture, and with this start, if they can keep it going, man, it's going to be one of the more fun stories to watch this year in a season where we thought there would be fifteen other better stories to talk about. Honestly, I mean the the, the fall of the Warriors to being the on pace oh, to be one of the most God. historically worst defensive teams of all time. Yeah. Uh, that was not expected. Nope. <laughs> Even with 
the injuries uh, in, in Steph Curry having to be the guy to, to run the show. I mean, I picked Steph Curry as my MVP candidate yeah. <laughs> to, coming into the season. That's obviously not going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, we're two weeks into the year already able to say that. Yeah. Um, it looks like he's going to miss the rest of the season. But that, that kind of opens up the, the West a little bit. Uh, and, and the Suns have taken advantage. And, you know, they've, they've beaten some good teams. Uh, they've gotten off to a hot start here. Uh, let's see. Pulling up their schedule, they've beaten the Nuggets. Oh, sorry. They lost the Nuggets in overtime, but they beat the Clippers. Uh, they lost by one to the Jazz. They beat the Nets. They beat the 76ers. I mean, you know, Devin Quality. Booker has really been showing that, you know, a, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's just on a bad team. He's getting to take all the shots for them. So obviously he's going to put up gaudy offensive numbers because he's the only guy with any kind of talent uh, in that backcourt. And sure, that, that might have been true, but he's really stepped up and shown that he can be a, a go-to guy on a, on a playoff caliber team, at least the way that it looks. But they're getting... I think the biggest thing for me about the Suns is they're getting production from all over the court right now. They have 10 different players who've played at least 100 minutes so far this season. I mean, that that right there shows you that they're not just going with a, a five-guy primary rotation with maybe two or three more mixing in. They are getting a, an even split with a lot of their bench guys, You know, guys like Javon Carter and Michael Bridges and Frank Kaminsky, Tyler Johnson, uh, who are able to, to really slide in. Now, not necessarily calling any of those guys uh, groundbreaking players, but as far as bench guys go, they've definitely been getting it done. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to talk about Aaron Baines, though, man. I mean, mm. as far as player efficiency rating goes, he's been their best player. 25.5 when he's on the floor. I mean, that that's absolutely ridiculous, uh, you know, considering the turnaround he's had. He wasn't even expecting to be starting uh, this year because DeAndre Ayton was there in front of him. Um, 33 years old, has uh, only played a, a couple of years as a starter uh, in his career, most notably back 2017-18. He started 67 games uh, for the Celtics, but even then he averaged six points per game. The highest he's ever averaged in a season was 6.6, and right now he's sitting at 15.8. His rebounding numbers are up. I mean, this is a guy who, who, who was not, no one expected to make any kind of impact, uh, especially given his age, and he's been defying all logic. And this is the thing is I don't expect him to keep up this pace uh, for the rest of the year, but he's not going to have to because when Aiton comes back, he's going to be able to slide into that rotation and go against some lesser competition and be able to continue to put up strong numbers. I think that you know they're showing that they are going to have some depth when he gets back, which is a, a huge boost mm-hmm. for them. Uh, Kelly Oubre has taken a huge leap forward uh, after being acquired from the Wizards uh, just last year. Um, I've personally watched him, uh, you know, go, grow into his own, into being a very quality role player uh, for the Wizards. Somebody who was able to put up points in bunches, strong three-point shooting percentage. Uh, right now, career best, thirty-nine point four percent from behind the arc. Right now, he's shooting. Not as much as he usually does, uh, which is interesting. He's taking fewer threes now, um, but also going to the line a bit more. Uh, so that that's something that you've been seeing out of him is, is kind of he developed his game. He's only 24, so certainly a lot of room to grow for him uh, moving forward. I think he's going to play a, a big role for this Suns team, and I think that he could develop into a starter. Uh, you know, he's obviously mm-hmm. had to be a starter for this team, uh, which is the first time in his career that you know he's been considered a bona fide starter on a team. Uh, and so I've I've really enjoyed watching him thrive. He's a lot of fun, a great energy boost, I think, for a young team. He's the perfect uh, piece to complement a core that already had uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. I think he slides right in perfectly with them. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like the Suns team, man, and uh, I think they're 
I love underdogs, and so the Suns are probably oh, going to yeah. be my Western Conference team this year mm-hmm. as long as they remain relevant. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm all in on them. But I do want to talk about the Raptors too because, oh, yeah. I mean, yes, you had them as the three seed in the Eastern Conference, Blake. But did did you expect them to get off to a hot start like they are, uh, and, and you know, really show no signs of missing uh, Kawhi? Um, you know, I definitely expected a little more growing pains, but I mean, look at what you saw from them last year. It was a total effort on that team, and Nick Nurse was a very well, uh, you know, he was a, a good head coach. So it, it was a deep team, it was a deep rotation, a quality head coach, and and listen, the, the biggest thing, and I'm not going to say that he's exactly, um, he's, you know, going to be on the same exact path as, as this comparison I'm about to make, but it all centers around Pascal Siakam. Um, and kind of what we we've seen from him early on in his career, um, you know, I was reading up on him, and what he does every off season is he takes a look at one thing, you know, one part of his skill set that isn't that great, and he just works on that the entire year. And this past off season, it was ball handling. The year before, I believe it was uh, perimeter shooting. And what we've seen him kind of just develop a different layer to his game every off season. And who was exactly like that? The guy that he got to watch last year, Kawhi Leonard, right next to him. Kawhi was another guy that you know came into the league, had some areas that he needed to work on, but was extremely hardworking in the off season and put in a ton of effort to improve you know a different aspect of his game every single year. And so. The reason that they haven't fallen off is because Pascal Siakam has taken over as as the face of that team, and he has been unbelievable this year. I mean, 28 points per game, almost 10 rebounds, 4 assists, half a block a game. He's shooting 37% from 3, 50% from the field. He, he's been unbelievable, and, and so, you know... I think with the Raptors, I probably expected it to be a little rough in the start figuring out who was the face of the team, but Pascal Siakam went right ahead and said, this is me, this is my team, we're not going to pick up, you know, we're not going to let ourselves just start off slow because Kawhi's not here, I'm going to replace the production that we got from him, and we're going to just keep trucking along. Yeah, I mean, you you look at that extension that he signed prior to this season, literally right at the start of the year, four years, $130 million, That's looking like a bargain uh, with the way he's playing right now. I mean, I think it's way too early to, to get into these conference conversations, but, you know, I, I think that he's on all NBA watch with the way he's playing right oh, now. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah, he can yeah, sneak yeah. into that, that third team uh, with the way. I mean, I think a lot of name value is comes with that, so it's mm-hmm. tough. Uh, to to kind of break into that, like a guy like Bradley Beal has never been All NBA, uh, which is is pretty incredible um, considering his career. But uh, Siakam has been uh, amazing, and, and another one, OG Anumbi, uh, Anu, wait, Ananobi, OG Ananobi has mm-hmm. been fantastic for them as well. Uh, a guy who's had to fill the shoes of Kawhi yeah. Leonard at that small forward position, uh, finally getting the chance to be a starter for the first time in his career. You know, modest numbers across the board. He's averaging 13 points per game, uh, 6.2 rebounds, 1.9 assists. Uh, does have some good length on him. Um, stands tall at six foot sevens, which is pretty good for a small forward. So, uh, you know, he's definitely... They're diff- a different team. I mean, you know, Kawhi had to be the focal point of that, of that team, while Kyle Lowry, who, you know, has always been... He's been profiled as a ball-dominant point guard, but has never been the go-to scorer in his offense, which has always been really interesting to me. Uh, and mm-hmm. now Siakam is, is resuming that role uh, as the go-to scorer, so so Lowry doesn't have to do that. Um, and, you know, 
Lowry's assist numbers have never been otherworldly or anything like that, but I think that Lowry has been complimenting Siakam just as well as he did uh, Kawhi. Fred Van Vliet, obviously, uh, playing out of his mind as well. Uh, such a fantastic three-point shooter. Um, although Lowry, 42.6% from three. Wow, that's insane. Hmm. Um Overall, you know, I'm just, I think this is a, is a deep team. Like you mentioned, not as many guys as like the Suns are playing right now. Only seven players uh, have, have recorded 100 plus minutes so far this season. And it's not even close. The rest of the guys uh, who aren't at 100 or nobody's even close to 100. So uh, it's kind of been uh, a little bit more focused on the starters. You know, this is a team we've talked about in years past, how they've always been kind of a deeper team and, and didn't have necessarily, you know, DeMar DeRozan was that star for sure. Um, but they, you know, they were a team that was not afraid to bring in a full bench uh, at times to rest Lowry, rest Rosen. Uh, now it's looking like you know they're kind of really honing in on you know giving Fred Van Vliet 37 minutes a game, Kyle Lowry 36, Pascal Siakam 35, uh, OG is playing 33. I mean, you know, those four guys have really been the focal point of that offense. I do think that they're going to need to make an upgrade at some point this year uh, over Marcus Saul. He's just kind of not the player that he used to be. I mean, Serge Ibaka is behind him uh, at that center position and, and mm-hmm. still is, is certainly capable, but I, I don't believe, especially on the defensive side, uh, Gasol has just kind of fallen off this year uh, from what I've seen uh, after, from being in years past, is him being such a great defender uh, right. and, and great rim protector. He just hasn't really been the same guy, and he's 35, so you know, at some point you have to be like, okay, maybe we need to, to make a change there. Uh, so I would like to see them maybe add another player to that front court rotation uh, before the trade deadline, um, but that backcourt man and there's just so much depth there so much star power uh that we really weren't talking about a year ago uh that's just so much fun to watch it really is they're definitely one of the more exciting teams in an eastern conference that i don't know it's been i I guess somewhat enjoyable to watch this year i i get this is not uh, this is definitely a hot take, and I'll, I would get slack for it if more people listen to our podcast. Um, but <laughs> I do think that the East is very good this year. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's as good as the West. Certainly not saying that. But I 100% believe in the Celtics. I believe in the Raptors after coming off of uh, being the reigning national champs. I believe in the Bucks with Giannis. I think the Heat are a very good team. I picked the Sixers to come out of the East and uh, in, in play in the, the NBA Finals. I mean, I think those top five teams are mm-hmm. are really, really good. And sure, yeah. maybe you can argue the Pacers are in there too, uh, but they've had so many injuries that uh, I, we just kind of can't really tell what kind of team they are right now. Uh, we're going to have to kind of wait and see. They're going to have to try and stay afloat uh, without some of their stars for, for a little bit. But uh, those top five teams in the East, man, I mean, to me, the top five in the, in the West, I mean, you're looking at just by standings-wise, the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Rockets – uh, Jazz, well, there's that big tie. Uh, so Suns, Clippers, and Mavs are the top seven. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that uh, outside of, of maybe the Lakers, any of those teams are bona fide better uh, than any of those five teams I mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's significant. I don't think that's something we've been able to say about the Eastern Conference. I mean, for a while, it was just those top three. Like, you'd get three teams every year that were that were really good uh, and everybody else kind of behind them wasn't really a threat. I think I think we have five legitimate threats to come out of the East uh, in the NBA Finals as the way things stand right now. Um, and I, I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I'm not just trying to say it's a crapshoot. Um, 
you know, in terms of, you know, the Celtics, they got to go six weeks without Gordon Hayward now. And so managing that, a guy that was finally, it looked like he was finally getting into the swing of things. So that's a big hit to take. Um, I, look, I, I still like Philly. I, like, I was big on Miami heading into the season, too. I think they were my four or five seed. Um, the Bucks, of course, they're going to have to go a couple weeks without Chris Middleton. Um, look, I'm not going to say it's 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 awful. Uh, I'm probably not as in love with it as you are, but I still think there's definitely some good teams in there, and especially with the start that Toronto has gotten off to, um, certainly makes it more uh, intense of, of a race. One team I do want to make the playoffs, though, is the Hawks. I would love to see Trey Young in a yeah. playoff series, man. Oh, yeah, even if even if they're they're like sneaking in as eight seed and getting blown out by the Celtics, I just feel like a Hawks Celtics series would be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just Kemba versus Trey Young, um, just screams must watch TV to me. Right. So that's that's one team that maybe outside the playoffs that I think could make some noise in the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're obviously a young team and still kind of coming into their own, but um, you know I don't I, I don't and the Magic were another team that I thought was going to be very good and it's off to a terrible start um, right now defense is still incredible Uh, as I said I I said they would lead uh, the league in uh, defense Um, and right now as far as opponents points per game they are allowed the second fewest in the NBA only behind the Jazz Uh, and right now they're five spots out of first in the east three and seven on the year so disappointing there but I think I think that you can confidently say that the Bulls, the Wizards, and the Knicks are the three worst teams uh, in the East. I would throw the Hornets and the Pistons as maybe teams that could fall down there. The Cavs are 4-5, and five, which has them as a 7 spot yeah. uh, in the playoffs right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that they're for real, but no. um, you know, I do think that there's definitely some room maybe for a team like the Pistons uh, to move up the Hawks. Uh, the Magic, those three teams that I really like. So the East, it's intriguing to me. I do think that those top five, and conceivably the Pacers, uh, once they get their guys back, uh, though that that top five or six is really solid. Uh, so really, I don't. I think teams are kind of competing for that seventh and eighth spot. But I do think that the East right. is better this year than it has been in years past. Definitely, anything about the stars that jump ship, and of course. Um, you know, Kyrie and Katie coming to the Nets, even though Katie's not going to be around the Heat getting Jimmy Butler, it makes it a little more deep. So I agree, it's going to be a pretty Anthony good, uh, Davis to the Bulls. No, no, don't. Stars coming coming east now. East. Now that all the stars are in the West, maybe we start seeing some come to the He's East for some easier rides to the playoffs. He's going to be a Laker. I don't think Chicago I don't know, man. Has, he didn't rule it out. And Chicago's two best players are both bigs right now, aren't they? Or at least his, their best player, Laurie Markin. And I guess you could put Davis at the five, but he doesn't like playing center. That's why they have Dwight Howard. So, I don't know. I, mean, I, I know leading scorer is Zach off. Levine. I know uh, the, you got Laurie Markin in at that forward yeah. spot. Yeah, that's Laurie, the kind Laurie's of guy like who's blocking the future him. of the team. Laurie's Kobe the White's the future of the team, bro. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Thomas Sadoransky, who I love. Uh, yeah. Poor Sato. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't get extended by the Wizards. God, but bad. They're they are bad really team. bad. They're a bad team. So are the Wizards. Wizards, defensively, terrible. Oh, I mean, yeah. they played the Cavs the other night. And first of all, Isaiah Thomas can't move laterally. Like, it's, like, legitimately a problem. Like, a slow pick and roll leaves him just burned. Uh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Um, and he's supposed to be kind of, like, the focal point uh, of the of the backcourt right now. I mean, right. Bradley Beal, obviously. But Bradley Beal is not necessarily a fantastic defender either. That, that whole team really needs some work. I do think that they are on the right track. But that Wizards team this year, 
Uh, I would say the way that I've been watching them, I would say third worst record in the NBA this season. Yeah, uh, at I'd least. say I'd say you can count on the Knicks to be right around there with the Warriors. Be right in there. Them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's the race to the bottom between the Warriors, Knicks, and Wizards. You could throw yeah, the Bulls really. in there. Yeah. Uh, the Grizzlies maybe, but oof, <laughs> that's yeah. bad. Yeah, it is. All right, well, that's it for our show today. We just hit the hour two mark, um, which Beautiful. I have a new setup where I don't see the, the ticker uh, unless I go over to the application. So didn't even realize uh, that we got mm. this long. So it's a quality show, Blake. Yeah. Uh, any – well, let's go through our plugs here. You can follow me on Twitter. I have a new handle. It's oh, uh, yeah. at, at by Matt Wyrick. So that's, I think that's what I'm going to stick with for now. Uh, moving forward, so go ahead and give me a follow on there. I uh, I do some writing, um, but I'm mostly just tweeting at this point. Um, Nats, Caps, Wizards, Redskins, Ravens, um, Terps, all DC, Maryland sports, um, you know, up and down, and the Orioles, I guess. Um, we, have, we don't really do anything with the Orioles, but yeah. uh, just DC, Maryland sports, occasional story uh, going up on there. Blake, you can follow at Blake Andrew Pace, where he writes about the Colts in Syracuse for SB Nation. Blake, any final words for the good people? No, yeah, I'm glad to get back into the uh, swing of things, and like we said, hopefully now that we've got, you know, our schedules changed around there, and we're both busy, but we it seems to be like this is a pretty good setup that we got now. So, looking forward to following through with that. Um, also, other shameless plug: if you want to go give my other podcast, uh, Quick Hits, a listen, putting out some daily NFL, college football specific content. I'm actually about to go record that episode in just about an hour, so we'll have an episode coming out tomorrow morning as well, too, recapping week. 10 in the nfl season can you believe we're almost done with the nfl regular season i'm kind of sad about dude it. it's just, flying by it really it is. really is so, it does it every year too I, I hate to be one of those guys it's like oh the season's already over but like it is pretty sad I, i'm not honestly I, dude i think we're getting old i think time oh, moves quicker oh. once you get older and Definitely. i've been noticing that happening like the past like two years dude where time I, just feels like it goes faster to me now it feels like yeah, it feels like I moved to Nashville maybe a month ago, and I've been here almost half a year. Like, that's unbelievable that it's been that that long now to this point. So, I told you, we're, we're like, we're, we're getting we're old. real college graduates. Like, we're, we're yeah, gone, gone. We're adults now. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? It's weird. All right, everybody. For more of us uh, complaining about how old we are, we are, tune in on Thursday for our next episode. Nice. We'll do some uh, betting talk. Uh, we'll be able to talk Thursday Night Football, which oh, yeah. uh, we haven't been able to do since we've had Friday shows, so we're excited for that. Uh, but for Blake Pace, I'm Matt Wyrick. Thank you all for, so much for listening to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. Have a good one. <laughs>